Please turn also to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 5. The text for this morning is Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, we'll begin reading from verse 7 of chapter 5. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That we go to our God and ask for his blessings in the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you that you indeed are faithful and kind. Father, you have given us significant warnings in your word. And Father, you have also given us great promises. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that is the deposit in the life of every Christian. And Father, because of him, that we shall not lose hope. Father, we thank you that your people, that you've given and you've filled to the brim. And we pray that you would continue to fill us, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would be faithful to follow you, that we would obey the Holy Spirit, that we would honor our Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that we would not seek the stimulations that the world has to offer but instead that we would find true satisfaction in the filling of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, and thanks for the good news of the gospel, that it might go forward even this day. And Father, that if any are here who have not committed their lives to Jesus Christ, we pray that you might do a mighty work. We thank you for your love for us, and we pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted, and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've witnessed drunk men or drunk women. Perhaps going off to college is a significant thing. Uh, There you hear all kinds of stories and see all kinds of strange things. For example, you hear about young men. Of course, they're not even 21. Uh, They're underage. College campus. It's not unusual to find people who are passed out on the lawn, that they're covered in their own vomit because they drank exceedingly, and that they're woken up 
uh, in the middle of the day when the sprinklers turn on and the water wakes them up because they're asleep there, passed out on the lawn. And you ask, why would someone do this? What, what wisdom is there? Uh, how is this helpful for uh, their studies, for their education, for their GPA, or whatever? The answer is it's not. None of those things are helpful. And as little children, if you were to witness them and hear about them, you would say, this is stupidity. Why would we do that? And then somehow, young people grow up, and then they, they step two feet right into that same pitfall. And you think for men it's foolish, and you think for women it's even more foolish because of what happens uh, with people who are drunk. And perhaps we can say that you look at the warnings of Scripture that for the Gentile, for, for the non-Christian, is this not uh, the, the pleasures of life? Is, is this not the, the, uh, the sins of one's youth? I mean, uh, this is part of, hey, this is part of being the world. The, 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 what they pass through in the world. And the world cannot understand why the Christian would not do those things. Hey, we can't understand you. This is so great. We love vomiting all over ourselves. And that's not the worst part of it, right? The alcohol and drunkenness affects our judgment, affects, affects our self-control, affects our wisdom. That these inhibitions are gone. And here we, we think about how the Apostle Paul in this book of Ephesians he's, is as if he's coming to a section, end of chapter 5 here, he's starting to wrap up. He's, he's summarizing the section of the letter to the Ephesians. We talked about the uh, imperatives, uh, chapters 1 through 3, talked about the, um, I'm sorry, the, the indicatives, uh, what God has done for you in chapters 1 through 3, and then the imperatives in chapters 4 through 6. Yet in the imperatives, he's constantly going back to who you are in Christ and what God has done for you. The loving Father, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here we see in this passage, forego drunkenness that removes restraint, but be filled with the Holy Spirit who produces fellowship, gratitude, and mutual submission. Forego drunkenness that removes restraint, but be filled with the Holy Spirit who produces fellowship, gratitude, and mutual submission. We'll look at this in two points. The first, forego drunkenness. And the second, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first point, forego drunkenness. There in verse 18, the first half. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. <clears throat> Here, in this book of Ephesians, he, he had this section in, in verse chapter 4, verse 17, uh, where he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, darkened and understanding, calloused, given over to sensuality. And you think about the effects of alcohol. It affects all three of those, being darkened and understanding, calloused, and given over to sensuality. Alcohol does not help any one of those. In fact, it hurts it. Ephesians 4.20 but that is not the way that you learn Christ. Ephesians 5, 7, and 8, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Meaning, walk in sobriety. Do not walk in drunkenness. Yeah. Walking in drunkenness is hard to do anyway. All you have to do is, is go out 
on a college campus on a Friday or Saturday night, and then you see how, how difficult it is to walk for, for the drunken co-eds. Walk not as unwise, but as wise, Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Making the best use of, the, of your time, of the time, uh, not in drunkenness, uh, because the days are evil, and understand the will of the Lord, which is your sobriety and your sanctification. We think about some of the negative effects of alcohol. And we would begin first by addressing this matter, because it often comes up. This verse 18 here is not an absolute prohibition of alcohol. It doesn't say you must not touch the bottle, you must not touch wine. You see, very much like what happened in the garden. God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve said, you shall not touch it or you will die. You see, the difference is that Eve was adding to God's word. And we're not called to add to God's word. God's word says that drunkenness is sin because it leads to debauchery. And it says clearly that wine is a brawler and that strong drink is a mocker, that we ought to be careful. We ought to be very careful in the use of alcohol. It never says you cannot drink it. There's a difference. Here, whenever we add to God's word, there will be negative repercussions. Is, is it just coincidence? You think about the denominations where you have the highest rates of alcohol drinking. Say like with Presbyterianism, high rates of alcohol drinking, but you have far lower rates of alcohol abuse, of drunkenness. You look at those denominations where alcohol is absolutely forbidden. I don't know what their rates of drinking are, but their rates of drunkenness are going to be higher. We cannot add to God's word and expect to get away from it. Here we, we think about how God is the one who gave wine. That God is the one who is in control of biology, physics, chemistry, right? These are man attempting to think God's thoughts after him. So fermentation, that's chemistry. God, God knew all about all that. And, and, and we think about Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man. So there's something positive about alcohol makes makes man's heart glad you think about paul's instruction to timothy with your stomach ailment drink some some wine with that right here uh jesus in john chapter 2 uh was at the scene right where his mother <laughs> comes to him and says they're out of wine and there's a scene where he says hey Woman, what does that have to do with us? Meaning, here you can think about Jesus is in a situation where he's actually submitting to his mother. He's saying, hey, listen, this doesn't have anything to do with what God has called me to. But he's submitting to his mother a, a major social uh, faux pas that, that this couple, this family ran out of wine at a wedding. And then she tells him, she tells the waiters, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So he tells them, fill up these jugs of water, and he turned it into the best wine. And you try to imagine, I, mean, I, I don't have a flavor for wine, but for those who are wine connoisseurs, how great that wine would have been. <clears throat> and he turned water into wine. Here, we think about the institution of the Lord's Supper, bread and wine. It wasn't bread and grape juice, it was bread and wine. We think about uh, 
the limit of scripture, that drunkenness is sin, and be cautious about alcohol, Proverbs 20, verse 1. And we ought not to exceed that boundary. Think about the negative effects of, uh, of alcohol and how alcohol, especially in drunkenness, removes these inhibitions. Alcohol kind of pulls away the, the barriers for a person. So a person who's naturally kind of testy, uh, a little bit aggressive, he becomes explosively violent when he drinks and is drunk. The lustful person ends up becoming the sexual pervert and abusive. The melancholy person becomes seriously depressed. This is the pulling, pulling away of the inhibitions. We think about the link between alcohol, drunkenness, and crime. Do you think that there would be some kind of link there? 48% of homicides were committed under the influence of alcohol. And 37% of homicides are committed while intoxicated. And this is, this is only one category of crimes. And if you look at all the other categories of crime, of assault, and different types of crimes, how much alcohol and drugs are associated with all of them. Here we think about the warnings that Scripture gives about drunkenness, 1 Peter 4.3. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Here, we think about certain accounts in the times of the Greeks. Was it Dionysus was their god of wine? And part of, supposedly part of their worship of Dionysus is that they would have drinking parties and then they get to this drunken stupor and they would sing praises to their God. That was part of their worship. And perhaps the Apostle Paul was addressing these Ephesians. Now granted they had Artemis there or Diana in their city. Uh, but since they're polytheists, right, not just they don't worship one God, they worship many. Well, hey. The fact that you're a Christian now means that these drinking parties to honor Dionysus cannot continue. It's not fitting for a Christian to continue in that drunkenness. We have also, we read earlier, the terrible account of Lot and his daughters. The drunkenness that resulted in incest. This is shameful. Here, we think about why is it that the Apostle Paul couples drunkenness with the Holy Spirit. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why, why are they even coupled? Well, there's a parallel. That there's some similarity between the ethanol spirits, right? The, the, even the fact that, that alcohol is referred to as spirits. The effect of the Holy Spirit is, is similar in some ways. There's some parallels, but it's only on the surface. There's also a contrast. The filling of the Holy Spirit and drunkenness definitely differ in other ways. Here, we think about some of the reasons why people seek drunkenness. One is to deaden the pain. Perhaps there's unbearable pain of heartache, of tragedy, of loss. <clears throat> but we ask the question, you drink into a drunken stupor, but after that wears off, 
does the pain return? Yes, pain returns, and you have greater problems along with it. Some modern people claim that certain individuals or even people groups have experienced such great trauma and hardship that drugs and alcohol are not only permissible for them, but necessary for coping. And here, as I talk about how drunkenness and abuse of alcohol is sin, they would claim that I am being an arrogant jerk for condemning people when I have no clue what they have suffered. Well, I would be an arrogant jerk if it were merely my idea. But this is not my idea. We find it in the scriptures here. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is God's word here. God is saying, regardless of how much trauma you've had in your life, alcohol won't fix that. It won't deaden that pain. It won't solve your problem. Here, God doesn't make blanket exceptions to individuals or people groups regarding his commandments. Oh, these commandments apply to everyone but these particular groups of people. No, he never does that. Any claim of that is an attack on the authority and the clarity of God's word. When you hear that, do not believe it. It's false. They're lies. The Holy Spirit is the true comforter whom Jesus promised to send from the Father. This is John 14, 25 to 27. Think about the Christian life. Christian life is knowing the very comfort of God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. You know, the greatest testimony against this matter of suffering and using alcohol to deaden the pain of the past is that you have the Christians who once did that and they stopped doing it when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, that they say, whatever need that provided me, I no longer need it anymore because now I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and that itch no longer needs to be scratched. It didn't serve a purpose. He's commanded me not to do it. And I'm fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. Here, we think about softening the misery or covering the guilt and shame. Regarding misery, being filled with the Holy Spirit brings joy to you. Think about the word that went to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1.6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word during great affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You notice that? That God tests his people. That the gospel doesn't come to us at 70 degree weather on a sunny day it comes when someone is scraping rock bottom bad things are happening in their lives and when they hear the gospel and believe it 
bad things also will come upon them in their lives. Because here, God is testing his people. Are you delighting in me? Or are, you, are you delighting in, in the blessings that I send you? This is often the case. And oftentimes we will see people who profess faith in Christ. And later they'll turn away and they will say something like, it was just too much trouble. I thought following Christ would make my life easier, but it made it harder. Now, some people ask, well, this is proof that the perseverance of the saints is wrong. Says, no, it's not. We don't know that that person was elect. All kinds of people profess faith and no longer follow him. That's, that's completely common. You think also about the guilt and the shame. Alcohol may help you to forget some of those things. But it's only a temporary relief. Is there any long-term gain from it? The answer is no. Your guilt and your shame are removed at the cross of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit applies his work to sinners, uniting him by faith. You think about this. What is the worst thing that you've ever done? What is the thing that you're most ashamed about in the past that you would not want anyone to disclose or, or put all over the internet or, or expose those pictures, whatever's the case? You realize if those pictures, if those truths ever got out, we have hope and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Worst thing maybe is your children see the pictures of you. And at least you can testify to them, hey, son, daughter, children, that was me before Christ. And this is why I needed the gospel, right? This is what Jesus saved me from, right? I mean, these are all valid answers to, to the misery and the guilt and the shame. Here we think about the Corinthian list. Now, oftentimes we, we use this Corinthian list because we, we have to qualify, hey, you know what? We love homosexuals. We love them, right? I mean, how often do we say, hey, I love adulterers, right? I, I, I love adulterers. I have friends who are adulterers. I love them, right? We, we don't talk about that, do we? It's, it's always the homosexuals. But this list also concerns drunkards, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You notice that God, uh, as he calls sinners, he does so from various walks. Whatever poison you enjoy, God saves sinners from them. He doesn't single out any one of them. He doesn't show favoritism in that way. You think about drunkenness, that people do it for exhilaration. <clears throat> Is it the case? You look at the curse, the curse in the garden from the fall, the curse upon labor. By the sweat of your brow, you will earn your food or earn your bread. And perhaps the modern day equivalent of that is the curse of boredom in labor. That, that work is not only toilsome, but more often than not, in a, in a uh, first world environment, that there's boredom in it. There's the monotony of life. 
Well, you realize that being filled with the Holy Spirit brings all kinds of new things into your life. That following the Lord Jesus, staying in step with the Spirit, there should be no boredom in that at all. Drunkenness also emboldens timid people. Alcohol removes these inhibitions, the self-control, the control of the tongue, which is a good thing. You think about, especially this Minnesota nice thing, right? Hey, some of you Minnesotans, right? Minnesota nice, hey, I would. It's not a Minnesota nice thing to come out and be aggressive and say certain things, but someone having a bit too many, too, too free of drink, right? And they come out and they say these things, and, and then they realize, hey, I'm, I'm bold now. This timidity problem is gone. I'm not going to be Minnesota nice. Well, we ought not to confuse that with boldness. You think about the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. There is true boldness given. Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. There's a story. Uh, a Dutch lady, is it Corey Temboom? And she asked her father about this bravery, this boldness for the Lord Jesus. And it was interesting that her father, a very godly man, he explained it to his daughter in this way. His daughter, when we hop on a train, or when we go to the train, uh, what is the relation of when do you get your ticket? Do you get your ticket like a month or two in advance? It's like, no, you, you get it right when you're about to step on the train. And he says, hey, have you ever thought about bravery and boldness from the Holy Spirit? It's given the same way. It's not given to you a month or two or three in advance. It's given to you when you need it. We trust God that he gives us our provision at the proper time our daily bread, our boldness when needed to testify before kings and rulers. So here, these are some reasons to forego drunkenness. Instead, we're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second half of verse 18 through verse 21. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here we think about being full of the Holy Spirit. Some people ask, well, wait a minute. Wasn't the Holy Spirit given in fullest measure at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? So why mention uh, prayer and being filled with the Holy Spirit here in Ephesians chapter 5. Well, you look immediately after Acts chapter 2, there's various things mentioned. Acts chapter 5, verse 32, and we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Why, why, why is he talking about uh, being given the Holy Spirit and obeying him? Here, we think about obedience as being, is essential for being full of the Spirit, is that we, we would obey the Lord. And part of that, we go back to Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Meaning that part of our obedience is that we're not grieving the Spirit. Because when we grieve the Spirit, we're not being full of Him. 
that we ought to seek to be filled, that this is, this is an imperative, be filled or be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation, that we might have a greater knowledge, greater understanding about our God through the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the Holy Spirit. Here, the next several items in verses 19 to 21 are evidences of being full of the Holy Spirit, but they are also uh, particular means by which we may also continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We read earlier the parallel passage in Colossians 3. And the start of that section, it mentions, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So let the word of Christ dwell with you richly, or dwell in you richly. The word of God is central to that. Speaking or addressing one another in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is part of fellowship. You realize that speaking to one another, when you think about especially when drugs and alcohol are involved in families and households, what does that do? It breaks down relationships such that people are no longer on talking terms. But fellowship requires that we speak to one another. The implication there is that there's the fellowship of the saints. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Perhaps some people uh, would see this scene. Have you ever, ever seen these, these Bollywood movies where there's a whole lot of colors and dancing and singing? And, and you know, the way these Bollywood films go, it seems like two people are having some normal conversation, all of a sudden they, they bust out, they start dancing and, and singing to one another. And, and people think, hey, this is, it sounds like that's what the Apostle Paul is referring to. No, 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 I, I don't think that's, that's it. Here you think about how singing is an essential part of our worship. It's an essential part of our worship. Here we think about uh, how singing, along with the other elements, that would prayer, and the reading of God's word, right? The preaching of God's word, that these are all essential. If we're, if we're going to gather for a worship service, these have to be there, the singing praises to God, uh, prayer, the reading of God's word, and the preaching of his word. And you think about some simple understanding about worship, where we have what's called the reg regulative principle of worship. Those four elements must be there. You go to other, I mean, I remember where, where I met Melissa in China, there was an international church that uh, on, on the Sunday closest to Christmas, all they had was a children's choir. So we show up. It's like, wait, wait a minute. We didn't have a worship service. Like, yeah, we did. We had a children's choir. I said, wait a minute. But that was singing. But what about the reading of God's word, prayer, and the preaching of God's word? We don't, we don't have this. This isn't a worship service. Well, yeah, it is. And, and, and here we think about, like, what does the word of God say? 
in all this. See, this very passage is talking about how singing is essential. Okay, it's not one person, the band, singing, and everyone's listening to them. No, we're all participating. We're all singing together. You think about what this singing entails. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's with your heart. Meaning that if your heart is absent, the singing, the sound, the melody from your mouth is worthless. Think about Jesus' warning. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Here we think about the fellowship of the saints, the encouraging one another. How important that is, that first and foremost in the life of a Christian, we should see the public worship of God as the highest priority in our lives. It's very interesting. You meet people who are, let's just say, more mature in years, or people who have illnesses. And, you know, there's a good friend of mine who's a deacon who uh, has illness in his life. And I talk to him. He's advanced in age, too. And, you know, like on a Saturday, I ask him, hey, what's going on today? He, he gives me the list of what he's doing. And... I realize what this man has demonstrated to me is the priority of his service of God. Other men would be able to do far more in a day, not him. He has to do that on Saturday because it's Saturday work, but he has to be ready for Sunday. You see, when, when people get older, when they're weakened by illness, it's the things on the bottom of the list that have to get dropped off. Well, these are the fun things. No, we, we can't prioritize fun. We need to think about if, if we have only so much energy, right? And, and we hear about people where they have to get up at five or six in the morning just to get themselves cleaned up and ready so they can be at church on time, ready to go. And if that's what's required, then you spend all your energy on the first day of the week, getting ready for that. Do you seek out opportunities to meet with and to fellowship with God's people? Do you look forward to that? We ought to. Even as this verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Here, we think also about spirit-filled gratitude in verse 20 giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice these qualifications. When? When should we be giving thanks? Giving thanks always. When? It's always. And for what? We're told. Giving thanks always and for everything. For what? It's for everything. To whom? It's to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an acknowledgement that God's blessings and gifts come through the Son. They come through the Son. That Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will send you another helper, the Holy Spirit. That all of God's promises are yea and amen in our Lord Jesus. That all of his covenant promises, they're all fulfilled in Jesus. 
if you're ever in a situation where you, you can think of or you can identify nothing for which you can rejoice or give thanks, and I'm going to tell you, this is evidence that there's something wrong with your heart. Okay, that's, that's, that shouldn't be anything uh, surprising. Shouldn't be anything that, wow, this is outlandish what you've said. No. We should always be in a situation where we can rejoice and give thanks to our God. The core of gratitude, at the heart of gratitude, is remembering who you are and who God is. Who we are. We're sinners. We've only earned one thing. And, and that has got two things. Two things. God's wrath and curse. Those are two things. And what we will receive is a fair trial. And the outcome will only be condemnation. Think about, okay, that's where we are. That's what we've earned. And then we think about, well, what have we received? And there's that challenge. Hey, if we didn't give thanks to God for all the blessings that he gave us, and that if we didn't give thanks for it, tomorrow he took it away, what will we have? We would have very, very little. This is true. We tell these things to our children. But how often as adults do we need to hear that also? And how often is it that health? You think about health? Well, simple thing, right? How often do we give thanks for our physical health? It's only when you get this cold or you catch the flu or you get COVID or whatever it is. Something happens. Oh, for me, it's like, oh, I haven't been thanking God for the health that he's given me. Here, we think also about how rejoicing and giving thanks. It's part of the practical solution to many of life's problems. Well, what do you mean by that? Consider this scripture, Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you catch a solution to a problem? Do you have a problem with anxiety, with fear, with worry? Well, here, God's word specifically says, then rejoice and give thanks to God, counting your blessings. And this is part of God's solution to your problem of anxiety and fear, is that you would start to pray, to give thanks, to rejoice. And then God gives his peace to you. Peace is the opposite of anxiety. So you think about the matter of anxiety. Do we struggle with that? Then we should be rejoicing and giving thanks to God. And that that's going to help us. We think about all, who, all that God is, all he is. When you read this article, whatever article that is, and you, you start to, to come to despair, you start to get gripped by fear. What about me? What about my family? What about whatever? And when you think, wait a minute, Satan loves when I read these articles for me to be debilitated by fear. That is what Satan wants me to have. But we should be reading our Bible and say, wait a minute, there's a remedy for all of those lies and fears. There's an answer to them. That we would be filled with the Spirit, that we would reflect and meditate on God's Word, and that would actually be the solution to the problems that we read about in the paper or on your newsfeed or whatever. Anxiety is fixed by our hope in Jesus Christ. 
Here we think also of spirit-filled submission in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You realize that this verse 21, it's the transition to the next section of Ephesians that ends in chapter 6, verse 9. It talks about various relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children's children and masters and slaves. And you think about all these relationships being addressed, that there's mutual submission. Here, uh, I want to address you young men. You think about someday you're going to say, hey, I'm going to be the dad, and, or I'm going to be the husband. Everyone just has to do what I say, right? Do, do you think as a father, do you think as a husband, that you're always going to get what you want? Well, here, look at this verse. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The answer is no. That's not what being in authority means. It doesn't mean that you get first dibs on everything. In fact, oftentimes it should be that in your authority, you're going to ask others in your household, your wife, you're going to consider what's good for my wife, what's good for my children. The decisions that you make may actually make more trouble for you because they're good for those in your household. That's what it means, the submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, what is the capability of the family or those in the congregation? Those are all things that must be accounted for. This is part of our submission. Here, you often hear people make this claim. To submit, for me to submit to God is no problem at all. I have a trouble submitting to man. You know what you have there? You have someone who is self-deceived. Submission to God requires a submission to man. You think about how carnal man, pride and selfishness reign supreme. Submission is not a problem of your knee joint. It's a problem of the heart. When you start to reason through scripture, God is sovereign. Anyone over you in any sphere is there by God's sovereign will. Is this what, what Romans 13 tells us? Anyone who has authority, God is, God is the authority, and anyone who has authority has been given it by God. So parents or teachers or elders or bosses, managers, elected officials, whatever's the case, if someone is in authority over you in any way, he or she is there because God put that person there. Here we, we think about how easy it is. The spirit of the age. The spirit of the age is that of, of complaining, of, of that of entitlement, of that of reviling. You, you, you talk to people from other countries, uh, Nations where life is very regulated. You know, some of these immigrants who come from overseas, they would say, you know, we, we come here and over there, we would never dare say anything, write anything, post anything in criticism of our government or our leaders. We would never do that. Never, 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 never. But, you know, we have ask and we talk about, uh, hey, so what? what why do we believe this evolution? Or, hey, you believe in creation. Why, why do you believe that? They take, take a talk openly about that. But, he, but they say, hey, when we come to the United States, it seems like you guys are so free in, in not only criticizing your leaders, 
but actually reviling them. There's a big difference, right? We, could, we can disagree with our leaders about things. We can, say that, we can say that what they decided, what they believe is wrong, but to revile them is completely different. The Lord does not allow us to do that, and do not follow the crowds to revile your civil rulers. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, and honor to whom honor is due. We as Christians are never given the right to follow the crowds of unbelievers to revile our earthly rulers. Instead of complaining and reviling, we should be praying for them. We should pray for them far more. If you find yourself tempted to revile them, pray for them. This is what the Lord has called us to. We think about submission here. Submission is one of these marks that man is not as carnal as he once was. He can submit to others. It requires that if we're going to submit to God. That we are trusting, God, I can stop fighting for every inch that I think I deserve and can get because I trust God. You are the one who is fighting on my behalf. And that those who are above me, think about how when, when Israel left Egypt 400 years, what happened? When they were leaving, after the death of their firstborn, they said, we better let them go, otherwise we'll all be dead. And when they were leaving, the Egyptians were, were throwing their gold and silver and all their wealth at the Jews. This is all the years of back wages, right? But you, you think about how did they, did they leave as poor people? The answer is no. You see, God is in control of the heart of the king. Right? You don't need to manipulate. You don't need to lie. You don't need to, to do all those little tricks. We trust that the Lord is the one who changes the hearts of men. He even changes the hearts regarding reviews and promotions and all these matters. Right? We, we trust the Lord to do that. And here we, we think about how for some people in particular. Maybe this drunkenness was a part of your life. And Satan will often come in and he will say, you know what, you're no better than that. You should just return to it. Don't listen to him. You think about the difficulties that come in the Christian life, I, I'm going to admit, there are difficulties. They're there for a reason. They're there for us to realize our complete dependence on the Lord Jesus and that his provision, his son, his Holy Spirit, control of every detail of your life, these are sufficient for you. These are sufficient for you to thrive as a Christian. Your environment is not the problem. Our attitude is more likely the problem. But here, don't return to the bottle. I've often heard about people, Christians, who were once drunkards, and difficulties come, reversion, this is Drug addicts, they, they go back to what they once knew. And you think about Egypt. That was God's answer to them. You cannot go back. You must not go back. That the cross is before us. That we should follow the Lord Jesus. That he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And that is true joy and peace. And there's nothing better than that. Would we go to our God together in prayer.